night. Thanks for choosing the Voice of America. Friends, we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on the Voice of America. Voice of America. Sporty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. This is VOA's Yeheyes Wuhib, sitting in for Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to the May 16th edition of The Sunny Side of Sports. This week, Sonny's heading to Kigali, Rwanda for the Basketball Africa League playoffs and finals. You can catch all the action and keep up with your favorite team right here on The Sunny Side of Sports on Twitter and Facebook. Let's kick off with football. Prince Nesta gives us a rousing roundup of the weekend's action in Europe. Sporty greetings, Prince. Sporty greetings to you too, Yeheyes. Algerian playmaker Riyad Mahrez missed a late second-half penalty as Manchester City slipped up in the Premier League title race despite a comeback 2 all draw against West Ham United at the London Stadium. English forward Gerard Bowen scored twice in the first half to give the Hammers a short lead. But the citizens equalized thanks to second-half strikes from Jack Grealish and Vladimir Kufal on goal. Man City boss Pep Guardiola reflected on his team's battling comeback. Great comeback. And uh, a comeback against this team in this stadium, the way he defended, the strong they are, was an uh, well, incredible credit to the team. And, uh, yeah, so I think we played a really good game. Uh, they are so good in the, in the transitions, because Antonio gives you the tempo to hit the ball. And Bowen make a two, a two cuts really, really well. They scored two goals, but um, yeah, we spoke in the halftime, so yeah, don't give up. So if we score one goal, we'll be in game. And unfortunately, we score earlier in the in the second half. And and, and after, you know, we have one chance with Bowen. We miss a penalty. Yeah, for result, and uh, one more week, one more game with our people at home. Uh, I assure you something: we'll be sold out in the other stadium. I promise you. And uh, and we'll do the best performance possible to win the game and win the title. Western manager David Moyes also shared his thoughts on the match. To get 2-0 up against Man City, not many teams do that, but we uh, we knew if we could get the ball in behind them and let Mick and Jared have a run, we might, we might be OK. It was we just couldn't get enough of the ball to sort of secure that. And even the areas we needed to make the passes, we couldn't get the, into the areas we needed to make the passes in the first place. Mm. So I've got to say, Man City were so so good today, but uh, to take a two-nil lead was was uh, was big for us at the time. Yeah. Then Western manager David Moyes following his team's draw against Manchester City in the Premier League. Harry Kane's controversial penalty against Burnley helped Tottenham move into the Premier League top four in a match that was played at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Spurs are now two points ahead of their London rivals Arsenal, who can still return to top four if they win their game in hand against Newcastle United on Monday. Spurs boss Antonio Conte shared his thoughts on the match. They played a, a defensive game well organised. Uh, it wasn't easy to, to find the space, but at the end I think um, we played a, a real good game. I don't, I don't know if uh, three months ago um, to face this type of game, uh, um, at the end uh, you can celebrate a win. I don't know. I think this, uh, this team 
improve in many aspects, not only technically, tactical aspect, but also in the mentality. This team is becoming strong in his mind. Also to, to understand that uh, when there is uh, the, the moment uh, to, to defend uh, long ball, second ball, uh, to fight, uh, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of improvement of, of my team. And uh, I'm proud about this because... Uh, In only, in only seven months, I think that we did uh, a really, really good job with, with the players. Burnley boss Mike Jackson also reacted to his side's performance. We've come here today with a, with a plan of how we want it to play. And I think we executed that well apart from a, a decision. So, no, listen, I'm really proud of the group. I, I, again, we're seeing that fighting spirit. I've seen that character. I've seen a group who come here and didn't get overawed by where they were or the occasion. So that's that's really pleasing to see. That's Burnley caretaker manager Mike Jackson reflecting on his team's defeat against Spurs in the Premier League. Liverpool secured their first FA Cup title in 16 years after cruising to a 6-5 penalty shootout win against Chelsea at Wembley following a goalless draw after extra time. Greek left-back Konstantinos Timikas netted the winning spot kick after Chelsea's wonder kid Mason Mount's effort was saved by Reds' shortstopper Alison Baker. Liverpool boss Jürgen Klopp showered praise on his squad. World-class, outstanding, it's perfect moment um, in an incredibly difficult game against an incredibly good opponent. Going again 120 minutes on match day. 60 for us or whatever madness and um, the, the, the best thing about the games apart from winning it is the first 25-30 minutes were the best we ever played against Chelsea it was absolutely incredible how good we were um, but of course we didn't score in that moment, typical for us as well so keep it open Chelsea came back, it was up and down Chelsea got more grip of the game used the size of the pitch diagonal balls, madness to defend uh, Um, it, honestly, it means the world to our people, it means the world to us because it's absolutely insane in a season like that to, to, to have all three days to pick yourself up again and go again. It's so difficult, but the boys do it and I couldn't be more proud. Chelsea boss Thomas Tickle also reflected on his team's performance. It's brilliant to arrive with this team in, in Wembley. I was super happy about like to be here again to deserve uh, to play this final again and, and the way we played again can be nothing but proud we left everything on the pitch uh, so there are no regrets but uh, of course we are disappointed and sad I think we deserve it in the same way Liverpool deserves it and couldn't get it for the second time now in a row not even second time versus Liverpool with Carabao and FA but also with Leicester and, and so it hurts Then Chelsea manager Thomas Tuchel speaking after his team's defeat against Liverpool in the FA Cup finals. Meanwhile, seven-time Ballon d'Or winner Lionel Messi scored twice, while French South Cameroonian descent Kylian Mbappe added another as Paris Saint-Germain secured a 4-0 win against Montpellier in the French League. The Parisians, who have already been crowned champions, lead the standings with 83 points. Mbappe leads this season's top scorers list with 15 goals, one ahead of his French counterpart of Tunisian descent with Sam Benyede, who netted a hat-trick to help
Albert Monaco secure a comeback 40 win against Brest. Goals from Benjamin Burrigan and Croatian midfielder Lovro Major help Rene defeat Huntless Marseille two goals to nil. While American striker Tim Weir, a son of former 1995 FIFA Player of the Year and current Liberian President George Weir, also registered his name on the score sheet to help Lille secure a 3 1 win against Nice. Frame striker of Malian descent Musa Dembele also netted as Lyon beat non three goals to two. Moving on to Italy, Rafael Liao and Theo Hernandez were all on target as AC Milan defeated Atlanta 2 0 in a match that was played in San Siro. The win ensured the Rosoneri extended their unbeaten league run to 15 matches and are now a step away from winning the Skidetta for the first time since 2011. Lutaro Martinez also scored his 20th goal of the season to help second place Inter Milan secure a 3-1 victory over Cagliari, while Napoli cruised to a 3-1 win against Genoa thanks to goals from Nigerian striker Victor Simhen, Lorenzo Insigne and Stanislav Lobotike. Reporting for the sunny side of sports and Prince Nesta. Thanks, Prince Nesta. Staying with world-class football this month, the shirt Argentina soccer legend Diego Maradona wore when he scored two of the most famous goals in soccer history sold at a world record price. My VOA colleague Gwen Outen has the details. In 1986, Argentina faced England in the quarterfinals of the FIFA World Cup in Mexico. And during that match, Diego Maradona scored two goals for Argentina that have since been regarded as two of the greatest in World Cup history. In the first, Maradona got ahead of English goalkeeper Peter Shilton, and instead of heading the ball, Maradona palmed it into England's net in a move that will be forever known as the iconic, if not controversial, hand of God goal. Then minutes later, Maradona dribbled past six opponents to score what has been called the goal of the century and one of the greatest goals in World Cup history. Maradona's performance gave Argentina a 2-1 victory over England, and cemented his name as one of the greatest athletes to ever play the sport. Earlier this month, the number 10 jersey he wore when he scored those historic goals sold for a world record price of over 9 million U.S. dollars at Sotheby's Auction House in London. And ahead of the auction, Sotheby's head of streetwear and modern collectibles, Brom Walker, spoke to Reuters News and prophesied that Maradona's Hand of God jersey Jersey would sell for a record-breaking price. It's been tremendously exciting, and even this morning when we opened up the doors, people were crowding around to, to look at the shirt. Um, most exciting, uh, this morning we actually got a bid for four million pounds, um, so that if you, you know, add the buyer's premium and convert it into dollars, that will alone actually be a record for any game-worn item. According to Walker, retired English midfielder Steve Hodge, who inadvertently set up Maradona's Hand of God goal, has had the number 10 jersey in his possession ever since that game. Hodge swapped shirts with Maradona after their 1986 World Cup match. And after loaning it to the National Football Museum, Hodge felt the time was right to put it up for auction. But things got complicated when Maradona's family claimed 
that Hodge did not have the right shirt, saying he kept the shirt Maradona wore in the first half of the match instead of the one from the second half when he scored both goals. However, Brom Walker has pushed back and says the jersey up for auction is authentic and was verified through a process called photo matching. So you have to find a great photo in order to get a photo match. And oftentimes, actually, in the 80s, um, it's harder to get a photo match. But we were fortunate that somebody took a high-resolution photo immediately following the Hand of God goal. Um, And we were able to see individual details on his crest that made it possible for us to photo match it or for resolution photo matching to photo match it. So um, if you look at the top left of the crest here, you can actually see this extra yellow threading, which is... Uh, apparent in pictures of Maradona following the hand of God goal. Um, Right here at the top right of the crest, you can see extra black threading. Um, That extra black threading is also apparent um, in shots immediately following the hand of God goal. And finally, right here, if you kind of follow the line of the F, there's this very, very small and discreet notch in the black outer crest, um, which is also, you can see that in the photo. Um, and so all of these points together and actually others as well um, led to the conclusive photo match. Wachter confirms that the photo matching process directly connects to Maradona's words from his autobiography, Touched by God, where he describes handing the shirt he was wearing at the end of the match to Steve Hodge. When proving that this is the genuine shirt from the second half, the important thing was a, a variety of factors. First, we look at, looked at the provenance. So obviously it came from Steve Hodge, who flicked the ball to Maradona on the hand of God play. Um, it was then stored in a museum. Um, but most importantly, um, we undertook a process called photo matching, which is when you look at the shirt in really microscopic detail, even examining individual threads and groups of fabric um, and comparing it against photos of the game to the shirt that we have in our possession. And we were able to find uh, conclusive photo matching through a firm outside of the company that we hired to do it. I have to mention Diego Maradona helped lead his team to a 3-2 victory over West Germany at the 1986 World Cup final to lift the trophy for Argentina. Maradona died two years ago of cardiac arrest at the age of 60, but he will forever be remembered as one of the greatest footballers to ever grace the game. Maradona's shirt now has a new mystery owner and has been sold at the highest price ever paid for sports memorabilia. The $9 million selling price breaks the previously held record for the highest amount paid for a shirt worn during a sports match. That jersey was worn by New York Yankees baseball legend Babe Ruth, which sold for just over $5 million U.S. million. Going from the pitch to the court. The pairings are set off for the National Basketball Association's conference finals. And they don't include the defending NBA champions or the team with the best record through the regular season. The Boston Celtics knocked defending champion Milwaukee Bucks out of the playoffs on Sunday. And the Dallas Mavericks eliminated top-seeded Phoenix. The Mavericks beat the NBA's top team during the regular season and now head to the Western Conference Finals for the first time since 2011. The Mavericks had a dominating 123-90 road win over the Phoenix Suns on Sunday in Game 7. Associated Press's David Ferry has more.
The Mavericks cruised into the Western Conference Finals by building a 30-point halftime lead in a 123-90 blowout over the top-seeded Suns in Phoenix. Luka Doncic, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Jalen Brunson accounted for 89 points, with Doncic delivering 35 with 10 rebounds. You can't get this smile off my face right now. I'm just really happy, you know. Uh, honestly, I think we deserve this. Uh, we've been playing hard the whole series. Dinwiddie poured in 30 points. Brunson chipped in 24 points for the Mavs, who held the Phoenix starting lineup to just 37 points. Dallas shot a blistering 57%, including 19 of 39 from three-point range. Backup Cam Johnson paced the Suns with just 12 points. I'm Dave Ferry. Mavericks coach Jason Kidd said the final score was a bit of a surprise. We're not looking at the blowout. We, we just came in and executed our game plan. Um, guys, um, again, we talked about it before. I played in game seven uh, on the road uh, in L.A. And I, I thought they came out as if it was just another game. Now the Mavericks are off to the Western Conference Finals for the fifth time in franchise history and the first time since 2011. They traveled to face the Golden State Warriors on Game 1 on Wednesday. For Boston, Grant Williams scored a career-high 27 points and Jason Tatum added 23. They helped the Boston Celtics set a Game 7 record with 22 three-pointers to eliminate the NBA champion. Milwaukee Bucks 109-81 on Sunday in the Eastern Conference semifinals. Here's David Ferry again with the Associated Press. The Celtics are in the Eastern Conference Finals after knocking out the defending champs 109-81 over the Bucks. Boston did it with a three-point barrage in the Game 7 victory, nailing 22 from beyond the arc. Grant Williams was the Celtics' long-range master, hitting seven trays and scoring a career-high 27 points. For me, it was just like, all right, they're, they're encouraging it, like, might as well take advantage. So um, each one, as time went on, got more comfortable, kept kept shooting it. Jason Tatum had 23 points for the Celtics, who will face the top-seeded Heat in Miami on Tuesday. Giannis Antetokounmpo had 25 points, 20 rebounds, and 9 assists, but he was just 3 of 11 in the paint in the second half, including 1 for 6 in the final period. I'm Dave Ferry. The Celtics coach, Nigerian-American, Ime Udoko has predicted the team would take the series even when they were down three games to two. In the final game, he says, they focused on what had to be done. I told them let it fly. Uh, they're disrespecting you more tonight than earlier in the series, and that was the plan on him and other guys and really shifting and making them try to beat us. And, you know, you saw it on the first one that he made, and then he missed a few and got a little hesitant. And I basically said, shoot the ball. Like, what else can you do? Boston will face the top-seeded Miami Heat beginning Tuesday in a rematch of the 2020 East Finals. The Heat beat the Celtics in six games in that series at Walt Disney World in Florida. The Basketball Africa League is back. Voice of America joins forces with Africa's Premier Men's Basketball League to bring you the second season of the BAL. 38 games, 12 teams leaving it all on the court in Senegal, Egypt and Rwanda to determine the 2022 season champion. Tune in to VOA 24-7, FMs and to our radio and TV affiliates for some action. Pre-game, play-by-play, post-game, daily highlights, delivered by our finest commentators. Basketball Africa League 2022 on Voice of America. 
May the best team win. Basketball Africa League BAL 2022 play resumes May 21st at the Kigali Arena in Rwanda when the BAL playoffs will tip off. Sunny Young will be in Rwanda with our VOA colleague Eddie Ruwima. Eight teams, including defending Basketball Africa League champion Zamlek, will compete for continental supremacy in Kigali. Catch all the action, the updates, the post-game reports right here on The Voice of America. Voice of America. program lineup live anytime day or night pick out your favorite shows and listen anytime you want download our podcasts check VOA mobile from your cell phone subscribe to VOA newsfeed voanews.com I encourage our VOA listeners to check out the Sunny Side of Sports Facebook page. The address is facebook.com slash VOA Sunny. Once again, that address, facebook.com slash VOA Sunny. You'll see photos and videos, and you can post your comments. So check out the Sunny Side of Sports Facebook page. Voice of America. I'm VOA's Yeheyes Wuhib in Washington, and you're listening to The Sunny Side of Sports. Turning to tennis, Novak Djokovic lifted his sixth Italian Open trophy on Sunday and acknowledged the win has come at just the right time. The 34-year-old beat Stefanos Sissifas 6-0-7-6 in Rome to win his first trophy of the year and showed his back in top form exactly a week before the French Open starts. I pleasantly surprised myself, I can say. Even though, you know, I had a clear game plan and strategy coming into a match, I knew what, what was expecting me from the other side, so I knew what I have to do. But... Um, I, I did play a perfect set, no doubt about it. Uh, after that, you know, it was uh, a little bit tight uh, beginning of the second for me. He used it. And at this level, you know, one or two points can turn a match around. And uh, he was back in the game. 4-1 uh, up for him and, and 30-40. Match could have easily gone in the third set, but I somehow managed to find uh, the right shots at the right time in the second set, come back in the game. And, you know, just uh, the tiebreaker, I, I guess... You know, I was just uh, an inch better, uh, maybe calmer, and uh, but it was it was a tight tight tiebreak for both of us, certainly. The Serbian will be one of the favorites as he chases a record-tying 21st Grand Slam at the French Open, which starts on May 22nd in Paris. And the woman's side, world number one Iga Levantek, 
of Poland defeated Tunisian Anas Jabir in straight sets to defend her Italian Open title. Savantec has been in top form this season, winning titles in Doha, Indiana Wells and Miami. Sunday's win marked her 28th consecutive victory and after securing her fifth straight title in Rome, Savantec told reporters her remarkable run hasn't quite sunk in. All these tournaments that I've won um, seem really sur- surreal right now. Uh, I feel like just continuing the same things that I did before uh, really was the key to that. So it's it's pretty weird because uh, you may think that uh, with every tournament it takes, I don't know, something more. But I'm pretty happy that with my solid game I was able to just play good and also improve during the tournament. Because I remember how last year was tricky at the beginning. This year was also... A little bit tricky to get used to the surface, um, so I'm I'm just proud of myself, honestly, and that's the only way I can describe it. Savantec is the heavy favorite going into Roland Garros and is expected to add to her 2020 French Open success when the first round of the tournament begins on Sunday, May 22nd. Kick it! to motorsports. Formula One championship leader Charles Leclerc has again crashed in his hometown Monaco. This time it was in a historic Ferrari. Leclerc was driving a 1974 Ferrari once piloted by three-time F1 champion Nick Luada in a demonstration on Sunday at the 2022 Monaco Historic Grand Prix. He went deep into a corner, lost control of the rear of the car, and backed into the barriers. He was unhurt and said, despite the accident, the run was special for him. I don't know. I think there are many things. The challenge for a Formula One driver to drive around here um, with uh, no rooms for mistake is something that we, I think, all appreciate as, as drivers. And uh, and yeah, and for me also is the streets that I've been uh, taking to go to school every morning by bus when I was a child. So. Uh, yeah, it has a lot of uh, history in general for Formula One, but also for, for me, it's a very special track. Leclerc's F1 championship rival, Max Verstappen, ended up winning the race. And in NASCAR racing, the United States' Kurt Busch took the lead at the Kansas Speedway and drove his Jordan brand-styled car away from Kyle Larson, the reigning NASCAR Cup Series champion, to win Sunday's race. It was the second win for the up-and-coming 23X1 racing team owned by Michael Jordan and Danny Hammond, who took fourth place. 
Associated Press's Jerry Jordan has more. The last time the number 45 car went to Victory Lane in NASCAR, it was 1964. But Kurt Busch was a man on a mission Sunday at Kansas Speedway, powering his way to the front for his first win of the 2022 season. Bush said after leading 116 laps, he didn't want to have to explain not winning to basketball legend Michael Jordan, who co-owns the 2311 race team with fourth place finisher Denny Hamlin. It was that moment where I could not let the team down. And I didn't want to have to make a phone call to MJ afterwards on why we did not win. So he pulled a few old tricks out of his bag to get around Kyle Larson for the lead. Larson ended up second, but was closely pursued by younger Bush brother Kyle Bush in the final laps. I'm Jerry Jordan. British boxer Amir Khan is retiring after 18 years in the ring. The former unified lightweight world champion stepped away from the sport last week with a record of 34-6. I think um, my best nights in boxing were when I was with probably Freddie Roach and at the start of when I was with the Hunter. Um, and, you know, the likes of Maidana fight, Kotelnik fight, Zab Judah fight, uh, obviously, the fight against Danny Garcia, where I was doing really well, if you think about it, in the early rounds, and then obviously got caught with a big shot, and that's boxing for you, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I think that was probably my peak of my career, but, you know, God's been kind, and I, I've, 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 I was about 24, 25 then. Mm-hmm. So, I think a peak of my career must have been from 21 to probably um, 26 the peak of my career after that I could then see that decline but still you know I've had the biggest fights and fought the biggest names in the sport of boxing and the best pound for pound fighters in the world and so I'm so happy that the way my career has gone Khan was the unified lightweight champion from 2009 to 2012 and later fought and lost to big names like Canelo Alvarez Danny Garcia and Terence Crawford in the United States he also won an Olympic silver medal at the Athens Games in 2004 at age 17 Khan's last fight was a one-sided loss to longtime rival Kel Brook in February. And that wraps up the May 16th edition of the show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm VOA's Yehe in Washington. And that's the sunny side of sports. Uh-huh.